So over the course of my life, I've had the blessing of uh, studying a number of different languages. And I first began this journey in high school, like, like many people. Uh, you have to take a foreign language. And I had three options. I went to an all-boys uh, Catholic high school. And so we had three choices. We had Spanish, Latin, or French. Um, now, the practical, the really practical choice in Arizona would have been Spanish, right? The second practical choice would have been Latin for the SATs. And the least practical choice would have been French, right? But if you took French, you got to take it at the all-girls Catholic high school next door. <laughs> so naturally, I chose French. As you can see, that worked out really well for me. Now, as I got into seminary and I started studying some of the languages that I should have studied when I was younger, uh, I realized the beauty of language, uh, the richness of language. Each language has an ability to communicate something that the other doesn't. They both have their positive things and they have their negative things. And I think I first really learned this when I was in Guatemala studying Spanish. And uh, one of the vocab cards uh, for our, the English expression, once in a blue moon, which means happens occasionally. In uh, some Spanish-speaking countries, the way they, they, way they say that is cada muerte de un obispo, which means the death of a bishop. <laughs> that happens rarely. It doesn't happen all the time. It happens once in a blue moon, right? But you can see how the culture expresses itself and articulates itself through its language. And English has some very, very strong aspects to it. Usually English is quite precise. Um, but sometimes English can be vague, especially concerning certain words and phrases. And unfortunately, one of those words or phrases is the English word love. It's super vague. We don't really know what we mean when we say love in the English language. Now, some of you may be thinking, oh, Father, I know exactly what I mean. Well, let me give you an example about the weakness of the English word love. I love pizza. I love my wife. Anybody else see the problem there? If that word means the same thing in both scenarios, you either have a disordered love of pizza or you have no business being married. You do not have the appropriate feelings and sentiments and choices and relationship with your wife, right? We use this word love all the time, and it's become very bland. Now, here's the beautiful part, though. In Greek, it has a robust sense of love. Uh, Greek, the original language of our New Testament, has a very robust understanding of human love. And it actually has four different words for love. Right? One of them is storge. Storge is the word for familial love. The natural and mutual affection of parents for their children, siblings for each other. And sometimes it's analogously extended to the relationship between a king and his people. The second word, Greek word for love, is philia, which is the more general Greek word for the love shared between intimate friends or buddies. The third Greek word for love is eros, which is used to refer to romantic 
or passionate love, the kind of love that a spouse has, right? It's where we get the word erotic from, and we, sometimes we think that's a dirty word. It's not. It's beautiful. It's meant to be the reflection of eros, that romantic and passionate love. And then the final and highest form of love is the Greek word agape, which signifies a selfless, a disinterested, godlike love, whether in God or in man, but with God always as its source. And now I mention this today because the commandment that Jesus gives us is to love one another as I love you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So what does Jesus mean when he says, I give you a new commandment, love one another? What kind of love is he talking about? Well, of course, as you can guess, the Greek word that's used here is agape, the highest form of love. There is no greater love that the world has ever seen than the self-giving love poured out by Jesus on the cross. That is love par excellence. This is the measuring stick for all other love. If you want to know if you have authentic love for another, all you have to do is compare it to that. This is the source and measuring stick of all that can be authentically called love. Now, if this is the kind of love that we're commanded by the Lord to demonstrate to the world, that's pretty important. We're not called to love others as me like, hey, buddy, good to see you, you know. But we're called to that love of pouring ourselves out, to sacrifice, right, to lay down our life. That's the kind of love the Lord has called us to. It'd be good for us to reflect a little bit on what are the characteristics of that love so that we can be faithful to this commandment of the Lord, to love one another as he has loved us. And if you've been in marriage prep within the last 15 years, you might have heard some of these characteristics, but maybe some of you are hearing them for the first time. I've been involved in marriage prep in the Diocese of Phoenix since I was ordained, uh, teaching marriage prep, being involved. And so sometimes I forget that these characteristics that I, I've taught so often, many people have never heard. And it's really important because it helps us understand what it means to love as Christ loves. And there are four characteristics to this agape love that Christ shows us. It's free, it's total, it's faithful, and it's fruitful. Free, total, faithful, and fruitful. These are the four essential characteristics of Christ's love on the cross that we call agape love. First, Christ's love is free. Jesus Christ did not have to die on the cross if he, chose, if he did not want to, if he did not desire it. Jesus tells us in John's gospel, no one takes my life, but rather I lay it down freely. Right? Jesus laid down his life as a sacrifice freely. No one took it from him. He laid it down freely. No one forced him into doing it. The father didn't dupe him into it. You know, Hey, I'm going to send you down to, to earth and you're going to love your people. And then Jesus gets down there and he's like, wait a minute, I got to die on a cross? Dad, you duped me. No, it's not like that. There was no deception. Jesus knew what he was doing. He chose it freely, in complete freedom. Second, Christ's love is total. The nakedness of Jesus on the cross 
symbolizes that he has nothing to hold back. It's, it's complete. Jesus is holding nothing back on the cross. He's giving himself completely and totally. And in this way, we can say that Jesus is a friend. Because what is a friend? But someone who does, a friend doesn't really give us anything, but rather they give us themselves. That's how Jesus can say, I, I am a true friend and I call you to true friendship because friendship is about the exchange of self. And that's a part of Christ's total gift on the cross to us. Third, Christ's love is faithful. Right, his self-giving love on the cross is a fulfillment of his fidelity to the covenant that he has made over and over and over again with his people. From the very beginning, God has entered into a covenant with us, and he's always faithful to that covenant, no matter how many times we are unfaithful to it. Right? All the time we fail to live up to that covenant, but Christ never fails in being faithful to that covenant. In fact, we can say that Christ redeems us precisely because he passionately embraces our rejection of him with a love unto death, and he will never let us go. Fourth, Christ's love is fruitful. It's from Jesus' death on the cross that we receive the bread of life, the Eucharist, our spiritual food and nourishment. The Eucharist is born from the cross, and not just the Eucharist, but also the church, if you think about it, is truly born from the cross. Right? Remember at Genesis, um, Adam longs to give himself away to another, and so God puts him into a deep sleep, and from his side brings forth Eve, the one for whom his soul longs to join himself to, to make a gift of himself to. Right? It's in that deep sleep from the side of Adam that comes forth Eve. Well, the same is true with the gift of the church, the life of the church. Christ enters into the sleep of death, and from his open side on the cross comes forth water and blood, baptism and Eucharist. The church is born from the side of Christ. It's life-giving. Right? Um, the cross is the source of all life, if you think about it. Now, since Christ's love embodies these four characteristics of free, total, faithful, and fruitful, then that's really important for us because the love that we are commanded to offer in the name of Christ, on behalf of Christ, from our relationship with Christ, it also must be free, total, faithful, and fruitful if our love is going to be considered an authentic expression of that love of his love. If our love is lacking in any one of these four essential characteristics, then there's a real deficiency in our love. There's something in our love that needs to be crucified so that our love might be a greater reflection of his love. You know, a Trappist monk once commented that when you've been touched by divine love, a great deal more occurs in you than simply a reshuffling of priorities or a change in our scale of values. But rather what occurs in you, when you've, again, when you've been touched by divine love, is a crucifixion of any love or desire that you have that's ordered towards yourself and a resurrection of any desire or love that's ordered towards pouring yourself out as gift. 
It's not just a shuffling of values. It's a real and living out of experiencing the Paschal mystery, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And sometimes that can be really scary. When we look at our love and we recognize a deficiency, it can be scary because sometimes it really hurts to give Jesus permission to crucify our love, to refashion it, to reform it, to redirect it, so that it might be a greater agape love. But if you think about it, although, yes, there's pain involved in that, is that not what our hearts long for, though? I mean, think about the greatest moments of love that you've experienced in your life. And I don't mean the superficial, like, you're so cute, I love you, you know? Not that kind of love. But like a love where it deeply satisfied you and moved you internally to tears because of love that someone has shown you. It's agape love that's at the heart of that. Our greatest and most deepest uh, experiences in life are always saturated with agape love. Let me give you an example of this. Let me give you an example of when I first understood what agape love was without the right language, right? Um, so agape love, Christ love, this is where I first experienced it without the language that I have now to describe it. Uh, it's with my dad. I know it's Mother's Day, but I want to talk about my dad for a moment. But I will tip my hat to my mom and say my mom's the reason why my dad is who he is, okay? She's the great woman behind my great father, okay? So there's my tip to that to mom. So... My dad worked in education for 35 years. He loved teaching. He loved teaching young people. Uh, and he loved junior high kids. I don't understand how he was able to do that for 35 years. Uh, but he loved, he loved that age group. It was, he just had a gift. Um, and he, he loved uh, education. He, thought, he believed in it. Uh, and my dad always wanted to get his doctorate in education because he wanted to not only continue to form young minds, but he wanted to contribute to a field that he loved very much. Um, and so he started setting time aside to do classes. He started setting money aside for classes to work towards a doctorate. And then when I was six years old, my sister became very ill. And she needed medicine. She needed counseling. Um, and she needed greater time and attention from my family. And in response to this need, my father set aside his advancements in his career to be able to be there for his family, to use that extra time and money he had set aside to pour into the family, to give our family what we needed to be happy and healthy and holy. Now, he made that decision freely. No one forced him into it. It was a total gift of self, and what's really beautiful is he made it without a single hint of regret or resentment. He held nothing back, not even uh, his career, what he was very passionate about for, for, the, for a huge portion of his life. He chose fidelity to his marital covenant over a lesser good. He chose us before all else. And in doing so, his actions paved the way for new life to be poured into my family. His love was indeed a reflection of Christ's love. It was free it was total, it was faithful, and it was fruitful. And I'm grateful now to have the language to describe what I understood, what I saw from, from my father. 
He showed me what it means to live the Paschal Mystery, and that's left a huge impression on my life. It's made me want to allow the Paschal Mystery to be accomplished in me. And I recognize that it was his baptism, it was the graces of his marriage, and his love for Jesus that enabled him to so beautifully demonstrate this agape love. This is the kind of love we're called to. This is the kind of love that wins. This is the kind of love that saves the world, right? No other kind of love than agape love satisfies the, the human heart. No other love than agape love. Think about it when, when I ask you to think about when you've encountered that kind of love. What was it like to encounter that love? What was it like for you as a person? And now think about the choices that you've made in your own life. Do your choices demonstrate that kind of love? Are the actions and behaviors within our most intimate relationships, are they free? Are they total? Are they faithful? Are they fruitful? Or is there something there within that love that needs to be crucified with Christ's divine love so that how we love might be a greater reflection of his love? What holds us back from letting our love be crucified and transfigured by his love? How can we surrender that to God today and invite him uh, to touch it, to crucify it, to transform it? These are the kinds of questions the Lord desires us to wrestle with today. Because nothing produces more life, more peace, more joy, more fulfillment than when the Paschal mystery, that love is accomplished in us. When our love becomes an expression of that love and when it draws others into that love.